I, uh, I never met anybody who likes consequences. Never. Like, never met anyone who likes consequences. For example, um, if you uh, eat too many of these little guys, remember me and my Oreos? If I've ever talked to you about Oreos, these are the devil right here. They, uh, they symbolize sin to me. I uh, remember teaching the guys in my first church that if they wanted to get over their addiction to pornography, they just needed to stop buying Oreos. Right? Just get rid of the internet in your house. If you don't have internet in your house, you're not going to jump onto it. If you don't have Oreos in your house, you're not going to eat them. Stop buying Oreos. So Oreos, they're the devil. Um, if you eat too many of these, you're going to have to do some burpees. It's a consequence. Y'all know what burpees are? I'm not going to demonstrate my jeans are too tight <laughs> from Oreos. <laughs> so if you eat too many Oreos, you're going to have to do too many burpees. And if you have to do too many burpees, you're going to have to put on some A535. That's a consequence. This little sucker lives by my bed. I love A535. I've been using it since I was 14. But the problem with A535, the consequence, if you use too much of it, is that your wife is not going to want to snuggle with you because you smell like her grandfather. <laughs> I'll be a little picture in the Todd Candelon's awesome life. Consequences. Oreos lead to burpees, lead to A535, leads to problems in the bedroom because you smell like grandpa. Right? You can't escape consequences. Right? You ask yourself the question, could you escape them completely? Well, I think the answer is no. You can never completely escape consequences. But I think you can avoid the consequences of being evil. Let me show you from Genesis 29. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east and looked and saw a well in the field. And behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the, wa the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep. And they'd put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Hey, do you know Lavan, the son of Nahor? They said, Actually, yes. We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. He's trying to get rid of them so he can have some private time with Rachel. That's what I think. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Lavan, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Lavan, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Lavan, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel, I told you, and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. As soon as Lavan heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Lavan all these things, and Lavan said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Lavan said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Lavan had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. 
Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you've done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other one also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilchah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuven. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Behold, the Lord has heard that I am hated, and he has given me this son also. And she called his name Shimon. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Yehuda. Then she ceased bearing. Genesis 29, very famous chapter. If you uh, spent time in church as a kid, you probably heard this story. In fact, the stories of the patriarchs all have resonance for us if we spent time in church as kids. If you are new to all things church, then this story will have some powerful, powerful resonance for you that perhaps you have never considered before. Here's the big idea for this week. If you want to avoid the consequences of being evil, put your trust in Jesus and then do the rest of this stuff as an act of worship because he's been so good to you. Let's jump right in in verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. There's three things you need to notice here right off the top. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. He's leaving home. Why is he leaving home? Because his brother Esau is going to murder him. Why is Esau going to murder him? Because he stole Esau's blessing. Okay, so this is not a good thing that he's leaving home. Okay, he's leaving home because he's in trouble. He's leaving home ultimately because his evil has come home to roost. The evil act that he committed in stealing his brother's blessing is now coming back to haunt him. It is not a good thing that he's leaving his home. He's also probably by himself. Okay, it doesn't say here that he left with a retinue of any kind. This is rare, right? So far in most of the Genesis stories, when someone goes on a trip, they go with a bunch of people. They take a bunch of camels, they take a bunch of servants, they take a bunch of gifts. Okay, usually you would take gifts. If you were going to get a bride, you would take with you the bride price. This is what happened with Isaac and Rebekah, remember? This time he's going alone. There is no one going with him. So the picture implied here is him being cast out of his house so that his brother won't kill him and making the long journey from his home to Haran by himself. He's alone. He's leaving home by himself and he's going somewhere wicked. Why somewhere wicked? Because the people of the East has a connotation, and it would have had a connotation, especially at that time, for the original audience. Okay? In the Judaism that would have seen these texts written down, they would have seen the East as bad, the West as good. 
The East is bad, the West is good. Nothing good ever comes out of the East. The good stuff is in the West. So when they would have been careful to write down, after the long oral tradition, that he went to the land of the people of the East, this is meant to be a bum, bum, bum kind of moment. Okay, the people of the East signify wickedness, godlessness. So he's cast out, he's alone, and he's going to a land to be surrounded by godlessness. Here's the point. Sin don't pay. When you sin, you got to pay. Sin don't pay. When you sin, you got to pay. So if you want to avoid the consequences of being evil, this is super deep. Sin less, repent more. You're like, yeah, I could work with that. Sin less, repent more. So if you'll allow me a word on repentance. It's an important word. It's a word that we often load in one direction while forgetting the other. So again, if you spent any time in Christendom as a young person, you're probably taught that repentance is simple. You're walking in sin. You have a moment of awakening where Jesus makes himself real to you. You repent. You turn around 180 degrees and you begin walking in a new direction. I literally remember like six youth evangelists telling us that same story at youth retreats when I was a kid. You're walking in one direction, you have a come to Jesus moment, you turn around, you've been walking in a new direction. That is repentance. And that is a good picture. Okay, repentance looks like that to some degree. Why do I say to some degree? Because it never works completely. You ever seen anyone who repents completely? Never. Not even the Apostle Paul, the man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, ever cased this one. He's famous for saying, I'm miserable. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? So i got to say this. If even the Apostle Paul wasn't fully figuring this out, don't expect yourself to be any different. And so the second part of repentance, which I think is equally as important as recognizing that repentance involves a turning around and walking 180 degrees in a new direction, the other part of repentance is admitting that you can't do it. My systematic theology professor taught me this. Admitting that you can't do it. Admitting that in and of yourself you have no strength to repent. Even if you turn around, it's by God's grace. If you meet Jesus, it's by God's grace. As you walk in newness of life, it's by God's grace. And when you fail to walk in newness of life, God's grace will catch you and welcome you back into his embrace so that you can learn to taste and see that he is good so that as you learn to love him, you can continue walking with him by his grace. None of this is self-actualized. None of this is dependent on what you do. So yes, repentance involves that turning around, but it also involves the admission of need. Because those who seek, find. Those who are thirsty, are filled. So to come to repentance from a posture of need, I think is very helpful. You want to avoid the consequences of being evil? Sin less, repent more. In other words, throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus. This is an action that's beautifully hinted at here in verse 1. And Jacob what went on his journey in the Hebrew, and Jacob lifted up his feet. But you got to hear it in the Hebrew. So let's unpack it. Some of you already know what's coming from that first word. So what are the three words here? Let's go from back to front. From the root regel, which is foot. Okay? His feet. Yaakov. Slowpoke. What word is that? Yaakov is 
Jacob. Can you hear it? Even though we're English speakers? Yaakov, Jacob. So Jacob's doing something with his feet. Yasha Yaakov Raglav. Where have you heard the word Yasha before? Yasha. Put a Yeho on the front of it. Yeho Shu Ah. Yasha, Yehoshua. Yeshua. Jesus, the lifted up one. Well, I got the Holy Ghost right now. <laughs> I got goosebumps. <laughs> the lifted up one, Yehoshua. Ve'yasha, Yaakov, Raglav. He not only lifted up his feet, he salvationed them. He salvationed his feet. Because I'm not a rabbi, man. I'm preaching you the Old Testament like Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So when I come to the Old Testament and there's a sentence that says the name Jesus, you can bet your butt I'm going to preach the name Jesus. Right? Amen? And he salvationed his feet. Jesus shows up in verse 1. It's going to be a good week. You want to avoid the consequences of being evil? Lift your feet one at a time, one at a time, one at a time, one at a time, and walk with Jesus. Notice I didn't say walk to Jesus, because Jesus comes to you. Amen? Jesus comes to you, friend. That's the gospel. Right? God comes to you in the fullness of time. God the Father sent God the Son to become the man Jesus. Fully God, fully man, perfect in every way. Awesome, amazing, and kind. Miracle worker, friend to outcasts and sinners, our Jesus. He's the best. He's the best. He never sins once. He perfectly fulfills the will of God his Father. Even though he's a little worried about it because he knows it's going to be awful, in the fullness of time he allows himself to be led to a Roman cross where he's crucified between two thieves, not because he was a criminal, but because God the Father wanted to treat him like one so that your crimes could be forgiven. As Jesus hangs on the cross, God the Father places on him the iniquity of us all. And Jesus Christ, God the Son made flesh, suffers and dies in your place for your sin. The penalty for your sin and mine is laid upon him, God the Son, in that moment. And because he's God the Son, he's big enough to take it all. And because he's fully man, it can stick to him. God the Son suffers and dies in your place for your sin. But because he's God... Woo, the third day, that first Easter Sunday morning, what happens? I done told you this like 16 times. The Holy Ghost goes away and rolls away the stone and wakes up the Logos. Wakes up the Word made flesh and says, let's go, we got work to do. And the Logos begins to breathe and he gets up out of the grave. Woo, and he's good. And he's still got wounds in his wrists and his feet, but he's good. And he appears to his friends, and he's still good, and he's still hungry. And he even ascends right in front of their eyes to his father's right hand where he sits down in victory. And what's he doing there? He's interceding for you. He's your cheering section. He's involved in your life even now, and he's going to come back someday from that place to judge the living and the dead and to inaugurate his kingdom, which will have no end, a kingdom in which he's been building you a house for a very long time. He's going to bring you home. That is the gospel. That is your Jesus. That is the Yeshua about whom all the fuss is. Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord, we love you in this house. Right? We love you in this house, Lord. Why? Because you saved us even though we didn't deserve it. He comes to you. I mean, we could quit right there and go home. That's only the first point, by the way. We got 19 more to go. Lord, help us understand your ways. Walk with Jesus, baby. That's the answer you've been looking for. 
But the Bible's not just transcendent, it's practical too. In light of what God is and who he is and what he has done for you, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Romans 12.1. So it's not just transcendent, it's practical. We have some practical things you can do as an act of worship, because God's been so good to you that we'll also have the side effect or consequence of helping you avoid the consequences of being evil. 19 practical points to be exact, such as don't do life without Jesus. Live a go-look, find kind of life. Remembering that divine appointments are often found in the midst of everyday life. So keep asking questions and you'll receive answers. So jump into life and get to work with passion. Remembering that you're part of a very big story. And be kind because nobody's got an easy road, including you, because you're going to have to pay the price. So make sure you do what you do for the love of it while working hard and keeping track. And don't be surprised if disaster, deception, and disappointment show up a bit because the world is fallen and so so are you. So know in advance that life will be hard, but always remember that God steps in. He sees you. He hears you. So you don't need to keep score anymore. Instead, you can cultivate a life of praise. 19 points. Here we go. Point number one, don't do life without Jesus. I already told you about this. Verse one, and Jacob salvationed his feet. Jesus is your only hope. Don't do life without him. Point two, instead, live a go look find kind of life. What happens in verses one and two? Jacob goes, he went, and then he looked, and he saw a well. Go, look, see, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks to him, to her, it will be opened. Get going. Start looking and expect to find. It's that third one where most of us could use a little work. Am I right? Get going. Start looking. But expect to find. This is also known as a life of faith. Go. Look. Expect. Point number three, remembering that divine appointments are often found in the midst of everyday life. Verse two. For out of that well the flocks were watered. This is awesome. This is beautiful. This is as down to earth as it gets. This is commerce and need. For out of that well the flocks, commerce. Okay, flocks represented the main commercial endeavor in the world at that time. Farming was not yet highly developed. Okay, so the grazing of sheep, herding, was like one of the main economic um, activities of the day. It's a picture of commerce. The flocks were there. He's stepping into business as usual. And they have an acute need. They need to be watered. Start expecting to find God in your work. Okay, it's just another day. Begin expecting to find God in your work and pay attention so that you can introduce him to your friends at their point of need when they're thirsty. It was Andy Stanley I heard say this for the first time with power so that it stuck to me. He said, you know, the time to talk to somebody about Jesus is when they indicate to you that they have a need in their life that they just can't figure out. So with your friends, watch for that. Don't, don't jump the gun. Okay, pray for them, love them, build your life with them, but wait for that moment when they acknowledge to you, you know, I just can't figure this one thing out. And because you're their friend, 
When you say to them, have you considered Jesus, they won't write you off out of hand. But watch for it. Watch for that moment of need. So in light of this, start living a life of wide-awake expectation. Expect to find God. Expect for your friends to indicate their need. And, point number four, keep asking questions, and you'll receive answers. Let me show you from verses four through six. He asked three questions, gets four, three answers. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? Question one. They said, we are from Haran. An answer. He said to them, do you know Lavan, the son of Nahor? Question two. They said, yeah, we know him. He gets an answer. He said to them, is it well with him? Three questions. They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. Remember, the original audience, when they heard this, they would have been like, ooh, see, the Lord was with our ancestor. He asks a question, gets an answer. Asks a question, gets an answer. Asks a question, and the girl we've all been looking for shows up. Okay, this is amazing. This is awesome. Ask a question, get an answer. Start asking God for more. That's a teachable for you and me. And, and that's biblical, based on this expectation, as if you're an Israeli hearing this for the first time. See the magic of this moment? The question, answer, question, answer, question, answer, and go, yes, that could be for me too. Ask God for more. And with the confidence that comes from that as you ask and receive, ask and receive, ask and receive, it builds your confidence, right? With the confidence that comes from that, point number five, jump into life and get to work. He does this in verse 10. As soon as Jacob saw Rachel, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Lavan, his mother's brother. He rolls a stone away that all the shepherds who were already there couldn't do. They're waiting for more of their brothers to come because the stone is so heavy. This guy is so lit up in this moment that he does it himself. It's amazing what a man will do for a woman who's captured his heart. And you don't have to be a man, and it doesn't have to be about a woman. What we're looking for here is passion. We're looking here for passion. Point number six, live your life with passion. Verse 11 echoes this. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. He's strong enough to move a wellstone by himself, and he's passionate enough to kiss this girl and to weep about it. You want to avoid the consequences of being evil? A little less pragmatism, a little more passion, please. In other words, let's all reject our Anglo-Saxon roots, and let's be a little more Italian. You know what I'm saying? For those of you who aren't Anglo-Saxon, you're already one step ahead. Because British people, Scottish people, Irish people, that's my heritage. Always, you know they're always scowling? Always grumpy? Never happy unless they're on their third Guinness? They're like, what is wrong with you people? My wife's Italian family, always happy unless they're fighting after their third Guinness, but that's okay. Portuguese people, Spanish people, African people, Indian people, right? I don't mean like... First Nations, I mean, from India. My parents are in Chennai right now. There's a joy, a vibrancy, a passion that comes from those cultures that we could learn from. And again, like I said, if you don't have the curse of Anglo-Saxonism in your background, God bless you, you're ahead of the game. A little less pragmatism, a little more passion. Why? Because your life is not about you. How do we know? Point number seven, because you are part of a very big story. Verse 14, surely you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. What's this? That's an echo of Eden, baby. When was the last time we heard that? When Adam sang, first time he saw Eve, he's like, oh, at last. Now this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She's so beautiful that he bursts into song the first time he sees her. So if Lavan is singing the song of Eden 2,100 years after his forefather Adam sang it, I don't think it's weird at all if we're singing it today. So start singing Eden's song. 
Ooh, that preach good. Start singing Eden song. Why? Because you're part of a very big story. Don't forget it. Knowing you're part of a big story will help you live your story. And while you're at it, point number eight, be kind, because nobody's got an easy road. Verse 17, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Poor Leah. Her eyes were weak, meaning she probably had a, a lazy eye. She's partly cross-eyed, or perhaps she was partly blind. As if that's not bad enough, you may know somebody who struggles with an issue of appearance. You know how hard their life has been as a result because they live in a world that judges people ruthlessly according to their appearance. So here we have this girl who, through no fault of her own, is born with a weak eye. And to add insult to injury, her younger sister is gorgeous. Like, gorgeous. Like in the Hebrew here, it says she had a beautiful face and she was very well endowed. Just like Israeli Marilyn Monroe. So imagine you're Leah... And you're just completely outstripped by your younger sister. So look, if you ever felt like the homely sister, if you've ever felt second best, I'm shouting in my heart, know that there is room in God's heart for you. He will not judge you based on your appearance. People look on the outer appearance, but the Lord looketh upon the heart. There's room for you. So let's be a little more accepting because life is hard. And point number nine, there's always a price to be paid. I'll serve you seven years for her. Seven years to earn a wife. I figure if you're going to spend your whole life working, you better make sure, point number ten, that you do it for the love of it. Verse 20, and they seemed to him those seven years, but a few days because of the love he had for her. In the Hebrew here, it says he, they seemed to him to be single days. So, but a few days is single days. So it's like one day to him. It's like, oh, whatever, it's all good. One day. Because he's doing it for the love of it. Question, are you working for the love of it? You might want to think about working towards that. And make no mistake, it's going to be hard. So point number 11, work hard and keep track. Verse 21, give me my wife for my time is completed. Okay, it may have seemed like a single day to him, but he was keeping track though. He's keeping track, though. He's like, my time is completed. Give me my wife, baby. Okay, live a wide awake, focused, and accountable life. And, point number 12, don't be surprised if disaster, deception, and disappointment show up a little bit. Um, exhibit A, verses 23 through 25. But in the evening, Laban took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. In the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Lavan, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Bad things are going to happen because, point number 13, the world is fallen and so are you. How do we know you're fallen too? Well, because of verse 26, Lavan says to Jacob in response to his reaction, um, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the elder. And this is a slap in Jacob's face because what did he do? He, the younger, stole not only the birthright, but the blessing of Esau, the older. And so he comes to this culminating moment, and this is the moment God decides to slap him in the face with the consequences of being evil. It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the older. Irony of ironies, painful irony. That's the consequences of being evil right there. Friend, it's our evilness that broke the world. 
So point number 14, know in advance that life is going to be hard and his life is difficult. Consider verses 27 through 30. Complete the week of this one and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Lavan gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Lavan gave his female servant Bilchah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Lavan for another seven years. Life is difficult. What do we have here? We have first a week of awkward sex. Okay, the English falls down here. That's what it means, verse 27. Complete the week of this one. This means you've got to sleep with her for seven days straight. A woman who's just realized you don't want her, you don't love her, you love her sister, but let's get to it. Okay, it's a very difficult week. This is a week of unhappy, difficult sex. And Lavan gives another maidservant to Rachel to be her servant as well. So now he's got Zilpah, and now he has Bilcha as well. And you'll find out next week that these two maidservants turn into baby war-inducing concubines. So now this poor guy, in one week, marries the wrong girl, has to sleep with her for a week, even though he doesn't want to and she doesn't want him to, then has to marry her sister, do the same thing with her, even though her sister is sleeping next door, and he now has two maidservants living in his house who will one day become concubines. He goes from zero to four women in one week. Lord, have mercy. Hand me Jesus. Oh, help me, Lord. Oh, I told you, life is not easy. Life is hard. But, point 15, remember that God steps in. Worship team, you can join me because I'm done. Okay, life is hard, but remember that God steps in. Verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated. He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuven. For she said, because the Lord has looked on my affliction, for now my husband will love me. God sees you. Reuven. It's not as simple as God has seen me and given me a son, because you would think Reuben. Reuben. Ben is the word for son. Reu, God saw. Ben, God saw me and gave me a son. No. Reuven. From Avni. And what is the word Avni? It is affliction. It is hatred. God saw that I was hated. She names her son. God saw that I was hated. Reuven. God sees you. God hears you. Look at verse 33. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, He has given me this son also. And she called his name Shimon. Shimon. Shama Oni. Shama Oni, he has heard my hatedness, he has heard my pain, he has heard my despisedness. Shama Oni, imagine that's your name. God's heard my mom's hatedness, nice to meet you. He sees you, he hears you, so um, please, point 18, stop keeping score. Verse 34, again she conceived and bore a son and said, now... This time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. Levi. Now look, I could have made a mistake if I interpreted this just from the modern Hebrew because in modern Hebrew, the word Lev is heart. So that'd be a pretty name, right? Son of my heart, Levi. You're like, hey, that's a good name. Except it doesn't mean that. This is ancient Hebrew we're dealing with here. And it means the following, Vayilva. Vayilva means to be obligated. Okay, Yilva means obligation. Vayilva. To be obligated, li, to me. 
Levi, to be obligated to me. You know what she names this third son? You owe me, sucker. Imagine that's your son. You owe me, sucker. She's keeping radical score, man. Woo! I told you these patriarchal families were messed up. But hey, look, you don't have to live that way. Instead, point 19, here we are. We came home. Instead, you can cultivate a life of praise. She has one more son. Verse 35, and she says, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Yehuda. From the Hebrew, Oda. Praise. Yehu. God. Yehu Oda. Yehuda. Judah. God be praised. You don't have to keep score. Instead, you can live a life that declares God be praised. Why? Because ultimately, Jesus has borne the consequences of your sin, so you don't need to live a life trapped by cause and effect anymore. Instead, as you walk with Jesus, um, you can eat an Oreo. You could do some burpees. Uh, you could put on a little A535 like the godly grandparent you almost are. And you, my friends, can live free.